This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. When you're a pro, your reputation is built and proven over time. That's why the Home Depot carries Loctite PL Premium Max construction adhesive, the strongest on the market. It stays 100% solid after curing. It won't develop air pockets. And like your reputation, it holds up over time. Right now, get 12 or more for the bulk price of only $8.53 each. Loctite PL Premium Max at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Minimum purchase required, U.S. only. This is Jack Wilson from the History of Literature. You're listening to a recorded history podcast. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to you. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Ralph Sampson Folk. And today, a month after, a month and a bit after, the Raptors won the championship. Kawhi Leonard is gone. The incumbent players, the Kyle Lowry's, Mark Gasol, Serge Ibaka's, are planning to stay with the team per Maasai, apparently. And all the attention turned to the Summer League. We have a correspondent out there. My guy, Adam McQueen. You've been in Vegas for some time now. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm alive, man. I am alive. I'm everything's moving a little bit slower for me now. I don't think any individual should spend 10 days out in Las Vegas. That's the biggest lesson learned I've taken away from my Vegas experience so far. But I'm here. I'm happy. It's been kind of cool. I'd like to kind of reflect now on the two weeks that's kind of been. And yeah, there's been some fun Raptor stuff, bro. So let's kind of get into it. What was the longest hour? And the shortest hour you spent in Vegas so far? Uh, the shortest hour is probably my first foray into blackjack and losing all of my money almost immediately. I thought that was the one where the house edge was the shortest, but apparently not. Um, the longest, dude, that, that opening, the opening day. It was all, I was kind of overwhelmed. I wanted to take everything in. And also the Zion of it all was that you had to reserve your seat maybe four games in advance because the place was berserk. So that that whole day, I it was one of the longest days I've had, especially covering basketball, man. So you had to go, what was the game you went to preemptively to get for <laughs> like the seat four oh, games ahead of the Zion game? This is good. It wasn't the first one I sat through. I watched another one before because I really I wanted to watch Philly, 
But then the game after that, so these games are pretty quick, right? They, it's, it's, that's my favorite thing about watching these games is it's 10-minute quarters, far less time, TV timeouts. The turnaround at halftime is like 10 minutes, bang, turnaround, not much warm-up. So you can really rapid-fire get through these games. But as the place is filling up and everyone's just trying to shuffle everything along, get Zion out there, we have the heavyweight showdown of the Miami Heat versus Team China. And Team China are intentionally fouling and hacking with about three minutes left, down 55. And the, they're just getting a chorus of boos from the stands today. And it was, it was great to see. They even called a timeout to run some more actions with about a minute left. So needless to say, they were fast, becoming not a fan favorite around there. But it was, it was good, man. It was, uh, it was wild. That place was packed. By, yeah, I'd say at least two games before, and you really couldn't even, in the media section, it was, you're bumping shoulder to shoulder with people. That's admirable, to be down 55, but still <laughs> intentionally fouling. Is there, is there a real world, I guess, analogy you have for that? What is, the, what is the comparison in the real world of a person doing that? Down 55, still intentionally fouling, trying to run some sets. Oh my god, you put me on the spot. Um... I don't know. It's like, I, I guess it's one of those, it's just an, an annoying thing. So I guess it'd be like, you ever go to like, when you're at Safeway or the grocery store and you're at the deli place and there's someone just going through like eight different samples and they're just, they're ruining the flow. You get two samples tops is the rule if you go to a grocery store. You don't just waste everyone else's time behind you by picking out, every, like having your own little lunch there. So... I think that would probably be a good analogy for it because they just, they ruin the flow, man. There's, the games go, they fly by, and then here's China just taking their sweet old time working on whatever they're working on because whatever they were doing, it was not basketball that they were playing out there, unfortunately. But yeah, that was, it was funny. Hindsight was funny. At the time, I was like, can you please just finish this game because I need Zion on the court as soon as possible. And what? it did live up to the hype. My thought would be maybe a very skinny hallway and a person who's only done the laundering of their socks, carrying a giant armful of socks. And since there's no large you know, items in there, it's a sock falls, they pick it up, another sock, pick it up. And it's too much to contend with, but the effort's there, down 55, <laughs> potentially fouling. Today, you, you released, well, you dropped a, a feature on Jordan Lloyd one that I read, and it was about his growing ability to dissect defenses as a primary initiator. That was something he focused on at Summer League this year, something you covered. It's a skill he's shown he's capable of at the G League level last year. He was great. But do you think he can ever command a second unit in the NBA or even slot in next to a high-usage bench wing? Yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time focusing on Jordan Lloyd over this uh, over this tournament, and obviously I, he's a super interesting prospect for multiple reasons, and just kind of just an interesting guy to see how he's kind of developed on the floor, like you mentioned, and the bouncing around between two different roles. And the thing is, is I the more I watch, the more I think he is an NBA player. Now, the real question is, is he an NBA player with the Raptors? That's that's a different story. But, no, I, I do think that there is, uh, if not becoming, 
a, a lead ball handler for a second unit, I think he deserves the opportunity to at least try because the opportunities really haven't come about in Toronto. And I mean, his teeth, his value far exceeds the two way deal he's on right now, which is, which is the frustrating thing, but the Raptors have the leverage in that situation. So yeah, I, I, I would like to see him get an opportunity if nothing else. That's well. the next thing I'll ask you is I'm, I'm also a big fan of Jordan Lloyd, especially I like big guards. I'm a big, mm-hmm. big guard guy. And he's quite sizable for summer league games and G League games because there's a lot of small guards in the G League and in the summer league. He oftentimes kind of like Sean Livingston against Kyle Lowry in that 2014 series where the Raptors played the Nets or maybe like D'Angelo Russell when he's going downhill but putting guys in jail. That's what he looks like in the G League. But he Mm -hmm. loses a little bit of that advantage in the NBA there's a lot of guile to his decision-making and his playmaking. Watching him do that, how did you find that he mixed using his size to create passing lanes, like cross-court or little pocket passes that he's been working on, but also using like his handle and using what speed he has? What did you think- find that he was separating it into? I what you mentioned there the the last point there is something that really stood out to me is the change of speed right, and he's definitely someone where you watch him play, and the better he's gotten that pick and roll as a passer, the slower everything looks. He looks like he's far more methodical, and you see a lot of guys out here, man. That there's one speed, it's a million miles a minute going into that pick and roll, and they just get trapped underneath the basket many a time. So I think that is what I think is the best part of his pick-and-roll game. And I think as well is the the chemistry he has with Boucher was is pretty clear to see. Once those two started working together, it was uh it was pretty it was pretty easy pickings against a lot of the defenses. And actually he started to develop it was one of the reasons that Dewan Hernandez really improved over the, over the five-game spam was his kind of improved chemistry with Jordan Lloyd, too. So I think I think it is that keeping it under control. And also, one thing that he's always mentioned to me when we chatted was that progression over last year and being able to read that second and third defender. And my piece that came out this morning is you can kind of see how he operated to kind of manipulate that third defender, which is what really impressed me. And... I think all of his playmaking this in this summer league was, I, other than Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I think he might have been one of the best passers in the tournament. I mean, a lot of the guard play, like you mentioned, is shoot first, shoot second, and probably shoot third. Like, there's not many playmaking, selfless guard play out here in summer league, which is what I learned. And it was kind of refreshing to see Jordan Lloyd, someone that we've kind of assumed to be a scorer, combo guard, really just embrace that role more so than than what he's known for traditionally. Okay, last question I'll ask you about this specific guy and this specific part of his game. A lot of the times, the guys who play the pick and roll really slow, they're definitely good. The pocket pass is usually a big part of their arsenal, but so is the shot making from the mid-range, the floater and push shot game. How do you think he's coming along in that regard? Obviously, at a pretty tough time shooting in the summer league this time around but did you see anything you like as far as shot making while yeah. going downhill 
he he did have a tough time, and it was um, it was tough and inefficient, especially in that San Antonio game when you look back on that box score. But at the same time, it was almost like he in that game in particular the. There was just no one else before Terrence Davis kind of joined the team. There was no one else to really relieve him of the ball handling duties. And he was being forced into kind of create every single thing happening there. So he had to kind of go a little Kobe ball to even claw them back into that game. So I I think once once there was more threats on the court, I think he can still make those shots. And especially on the mid-range, the area where I am skeptical potentially about his viability as a point guard is the three-point shot still he's average he's he really needs to bump his shooting percentages by at least a couple of points because right now he shoots about 36 percent above the break which is fine but if he could get it to about 38 39 percent then that really changes the whole outlook of his potential as a point guard you spoke about will he be an NBA player on the Raptors or elsewhere in the NBA? And the last question I have regarding Jordan Lloyd is if you could place him on any roster that would hopefully maximize at, even if it's at the cost of other players on the roster, maximize his Mm. potential, put him in the best position to succeed in the NBA, which roster is that? Go, I haven't, I haven't, uh, thought about that but if i go off the top of my head i probably want just seeing how uh because i really like him when he's more in that pass first role so i would want him with a good solid big man i maybe chicago game freak i like he could work with laurie markinen and wendell carter i think that would be a fun fun duo for him so yeah maybe chicago off the top of my head i don't want to subject him to going down to phoenix or anything like that so yeah, anywhere with a with a, a fun young big that is a a good roller and can also pop would be the best destination that I think for him. What do you think? Yeah, I, I was gonna say Wendell Carter Jr. and Larry Markinen is is really intriguing for him and the fact that Chicago hasn't had a good point guard in so long yeah. that if he wasn't that great, they might just be like, ah, oh, you know what? Give him the rope, see what he's got. Mm-hmm. But also, and maybe just because I listened to Zach Lowe's podcast with um Ryan Saunders today, but putting him next to like an incredibly good dive man like Carl Anthony Towns sounds fun, even if it's him coming off the bench and them getting a little bit of minutes mixed. And mm. you can bump up your stats playing with Cat pretty easily. And uh, <laughs> everyone knows stats translate to money well enough in the league. And, you know, if anything, obviously you talking to Jordan Lloyd, watching him, you know, if you want a guy to have success in the league at all, you want him to make some money. The next thing I want to talk about, Jordan Lloyd, obviously, a guy you paid a lot of attention to. Mm-hmm. But Dewan Hernandez, you brought up Chris Boucher as well. Was there a big standout from the Raptors in Summer League? Who wowed you? The wow factor. I mean, the Dewan Hernandez, uh, Dewan Hernandez didn't wow me at any point. But I think just seeing his steady growth over a five-game spam was, uh, was just super impressive to watch it was just really encouraging and it was good to see obviously um his 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 story or his time away from the game recently you could see the rust and he kept telling us that there was a lot of rust and even a lot of like nervous energy as well fitting in with such an experienced lineup so to go from that really rough opening game to where he finished was was a fun arc but i wouldn't say he wowed me the 
the the undeniable wow factor was was our man Terence Davis, the free agent I didn't know that Toronto re- needed, but now is the future face of the franchise. Apparently, man. when you watch him, sorry to cut in, but when you no, watch no, him, you go ahead. and you're evaluating a Terence Davis or a Duan Hernandez, like you said, Terence Davis, a an acclaimed future of the franchise, Duan Hernandez. You also liked his. Um, regular progression, his his progression into mm-hmm. better than he was at the start. When you're watching these guys, Adu and Hernandez, and you see them, are you looking at the culmination of what they are, or are you starting out looking for NBA skills that will translate yeah. right away? And th- which of those do they possess? I think, the li- yeah, looking for little pieces of skill. I mean... With the Hernandez stuff as well, like the thing that kind of made me a little disheartened to start with was he just felt a little robotic in his movements and and the face-up game was uh, was lacking. But I think that was also a product of just a terribly run offense for those opening two games. He, w- he really couldn't get separation, I found, on his drives. And he was kind of flipping shots aimlessly. But then once he got more comfortable and he started to get those kind of nice looks as a roller then everything else started to open up. So I think for Hernandez, the thing that impressed me was was his touch around the rim. It was really soft. And he didn't shoot well from three, but there's a clear um, there's a clear goal for him to become a shooter with the, with the looks they were giving him. And his stroke... Oh, whoa, something's going on. <laughs> oh, my Lord. All right. Something's going on. We got another earthquake happening in Vegas. Um, no, he... I think the touch around the rim and his rebounding skills were the most impressive. Um, the double big lineup with him and Boucher was a bit of a logjam to start, but as Boucher kind of figured out as well, there there was a there was they 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 could start building as a pretty good front court together. So I think projecting as well where where his uh, his final position will be between the four or five. For Terrence Davis, <laughs> it was hard not to get overly excited after his first game, man. Like. That, that was so damn impressive. And just kind of th- the energy and kind of the, the swagger he brings and that kind of bulldog persona is so hard not to root for and get swept up in the kind of the excitement of just having this guy join the team out of nowhere was so cool. But for him, it's going to come down to that three-point shot too. We've, we've, we've talked about the new free agent signings that have come in and it's either all or nothing. We've got no shooting or only shooting in that wing department right now. So if he can knock down that shot reasonably well and is able to play on-ball defense and just kind of be that, that glue guy, I think be that mini Pat Beverly is really the goal. That would be the ultimate t- goal, I think, for Terrence Davis at this point. What separates something like that where you say this guy's doing really well in summer league and you start looking for things that will translate to where last year Raleigh Alkins had an awesome summer league with the Raptors, but they kind of pass on him and the Chicago Bulls, they sign him, but he doesn't get a lot of run. What do you think are the the talents or the things that help a player dominate summer league, but that don't translate well into the league? And what are the things in summer league that don't flash very well, but translate really well to the league. See, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure. I've been trying to kind of place my finger on this. And I, it's definitely the, 
obviously, as we mentioned before, the, 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 the score first guards, guard play, some of those guys will fill it up. And they'll shoot relatively efficiently, but you know that they're not going to be able to get the looks that they're that they're being offered in summer league. I mean, for example, he's been great, but Carson Edwards on the Celtics, he is he's got free reign to just jack up shots from every which way, and that's that's not going to be his future in in the NBA. So I think when we look at Boucher too, I think it's just like natural talent alone and kind of being able to bully on the boards is something that a, a few guys like Mitchell Robinson here as well are kind of able to dominate in that in that department. And I don't know if that will necessarily translate as a forward. I think the people that get overlooked are the guys sort of like your Malcolm Millers, right? The guys that can do a little bit of everything and are actually project to be a role player. Like they're not going to dominate at this level. But they have the skills to be an eighth or a ninth man in a playoff team. I think uh, I think the guy that's really impressed me in doing that was a sort of a Zaire Smith. Is that he showed all like very very incredible incredible skills in those kind of role player attributes, and he didn't dominate necessarily here, but he really impressed me in that in that way. That's a great answer. I'm actually, I'm really happy with that answer. I think you Was did it? put your finger on it. Yeah, yeah, I think your, your finger found the spot. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is certainly weird here, though, because you, you try to separate yourself from looking at the box score. I, I almost spend a lot of these games, when not the Raptors game, I try and take it in as a whole, but when I'm watching these other guys, I try and just watch one individual guy for like a 10-minute straight span and just look at little things rather than reflecting back on the box score and saying, oh, Tyler Hero got 25 and 6. Like, he's great. I mean, you look at what friggin' people are posting now about how RJ average was at 15, 8, and 5, and everyone's saying no one's posted this stat line. It's like you can't really look at the box score and assess RJ's RJ's, uh, viability in the league. Like, I don't think any of that stuff's going to really matter when it comes down to October and he's tipping off for the first game. Well, that's. I wanted to talk about Chris Boucher, but mm-hmm. you brought up RJ, and I'm sure you've you've seen RJ. Even if you like, did you get to a, a Barrett game? Oh, I watch every I watch every single next game. I believe Perfect. I, I was okay. with him. Plus, it was it was pretty much the full New York New York Knicks team. So that was uh that was fun to watch. No, there is there is there were up there for my like non non Raptors teams that I really wanted to watch and. RJ in particular, and Iggy Brasdikas as well, but the RJ Barrett thing and a lot of the uh, the Toronto beat writers, obviously that's a very high point of interest for them when they're in town, and it's kind of been the, the talk of the town, especially between us, about where where does RJ Barrett project and into the future, and what's his rookie year going to look like, and there's there all of his flaws are out there to be seen right now, and they're, they're Simmons-esque flaws, Ben Simmons-esque flaws. It's like he has great, great skills, but the things he's bad at, he's very bad at right now. And it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of growing pains in New York, but I don't think how his rookie year goes this year, I don't think will be indicative of if he's going to be a a boom or a bust. That's one of the main things I want to ask you about is whether it's his highlights from high school college or summer league it, they all look the same there's a clear mm-hmm. strength that he's using 
to, and this is predominantly his skill, score, and that's supposed to be his skill at high school, college, mm-hmm. and at the next level, is rumbling with that great athleticism and that physicality to his left hand and finishing at the rim. But there's not a lot of mix in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about him projecting? And I know you're not going to decide a boom or bust right now, but yeah. how do you feel about him projecting to where, you know, even it's four or five years into Norm Powell's career, Norm Powell is just starting to figure out that he can start slicing through the lane to his right hand instead of just doing straight line drives. Yeah. And then he can start mixing and matching. And like we talked about with Jordan Lloyd, is managing the pace of how you attack, slowing things down. And R.J. Barrett will be big for his position, and maybe that's something he will be an advantage to him. But how do you feel about him projecting and switching things up? I, uh, what, what you mentioned was the, the biggest standout is when you see him play is his left-handedness right now. Teams are selling out, even in Summer League, where there's not much, you're not doing much scouting before a game, but teams are selling out to make him go right. And he's just not comfortable with it. And that's, that's going to be his biggest issue is he needs to be, he's not going to be a good shooter from the mid-range or the outside. He's not going to be a good shooter from there for at least a couple of years. Like, the shot is not good right now. I'm not saying it won't be good, but it's not right now. So he needs to be able to get to the line and finish relatively efficiently at the rim. And right now, I don't know if he's going to be f- efficient around the rim when he's really scared to use his right hand. And he, he's he got a great first step and gets that separation. But then once he starts making that move to the rim or taking on the rim protector, it's almost as if he's not confident with making that shot that he's going into those into those lanes and into those laps with the goal of getting fouled. You know what I mean? Rather than trying to finish over or around the player, he's kind of using his physicality and trying to get to the line, I think, almost too much. I think he'll be good at getting to the line, but it's also kind of limiting how he finishes at the rim. And I think it's, it's, you can see a lack of confidence in that department. I think I was impressed with some of his passing display. He got a little bit more comfortable. And like you said, in a, some of the last few games, he had a lot smaller players guarding him. And when he had that, he could kind of get into the paint with a bit more a bit more freely and was finding Mitchell Robinson for lobs, and he was finding shooters in the corner pretty well. So, I mean, I, I like some things from him in that way. And you know what I also do like is that, given all of the other lottery picks pretty much did not play, I like that he just went out there and nothing stopped him. You know, it was... It was ugly at times, but he kept grinding, was positive during the game, after the game, and really didn't shy away from the challenge, which is something I I really appreciated and a little bit different to another Canadian in the NBA that may be highly touted, but his his drive may be questioned. Cough, Andrew Wiggins, cough. So, and I'm not going to get you to predict what his career is going to be like, but next year, how do you think that goes for him? You know, when I watch him, a guy who came to mind was Corey Maggette. I don't know if you were ever watched Corey Maggette play, okay. like with the Clippers and when the Charlotte was the Bobcats. But he had these massive biceps. He was, <laughs> he was okay from mid-range, but he really loved going to his right hand. He was an extremely physical player, and he, he was usually in the top 10 for free throw attempts during the year. 
but he was not at all efficient. And I, when I watch R.J. Barrett, I see, mind you, it's not a finished project at 27, but I see a 27-year-old left-handed Corey Maggette yeah. just bruising into the paint and trying to get to you know, 15, 16 points on the back yeah. of eight free throw attempts a game. What do you think next year looks like for him? I, I, I really like that comparison. I think you, you probably are going to expect that. It's going to be very inefficient, but I think the Corey McGuidey comp is decent. I think just more passing though. I think he is a very good passer. He gets tunnel vision when he's in the lane a little too much, but he has the skills. He has the, he, he has the vision before he gets into that paint. And he has the ability to make an array of passes. So I think that's the part that I'm looking for the most. I think I can project pretty well what he's going to look like. Like you said there, inefficient. His shot isn't good yet. And it's going to be growing pains. But I think the part where he can really, really be a positive influence on the team is as a passer. So, and seeing how some of those other next guys, like Kevin Knox is a black hole still when he's driving to the lane. So I'd rather see the ball in RJ's hands and having Kevin Knox spot up, to be honest, between those guys. So I think that's a good comp that you put out there. I like, I like that you brought up his passing because <laughs> that's, that's one thing that a lot of people talk about and notice is how you make the passes when you're going downhill. And you mentioned he, does, he is kind of like a black hole at times and he has tunnel vision at times. But I've whether it's in high school, college, or some of the passes he's made in summer league, his hit ahead is really good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he can spray to the corners, and he's not so bad dipping and dunking around the rim. So mm-hmm. I, I like that you brought that up. His passing is definitely a point where he can change how he's being defended rather than just it all being reliant on how he's countering for his own offense. Mm-hmm. His counter can be producing offense and providing it to others. That's that's a good point. And One- also, I played... Or go ahead. So I was just going to... One more thing that I just want to add quickly on him. The last point I forgot about is... The one thing I was a little underwhelmed was about was his he's not the most explosive athlete. He's built he's he's built like a fire hydrant for an 18, 19 year old guy. And he's gonna match up physically, but I I wasn't that impressed with his explosiveness around the rim. That's one of the things that I think we're still really bad at measuring. Mm-hmm. As far as like DeMar DeRozan was touted as an incredible athlete, but you watch him and he's not fast, but he was coming out of USC. Everyone's like, this guy's an incredible athlete because he can jump. And when he gets his legs in motion, he gets to line everything properly. And same with OG Ananobi. OG is very long and slinky at times, but it's clear that all of his athleticism is channeled into his two-foot jump. And for DeRozan, all of his athleticism is channeled into his one-foot jump. And there's guys like that that, you say, oh, the, like Danny Green during the Rising Stars game was saying, OG's an incredible athlete, just as OG goes to do that under the legs, like 360, whatever dunk he tried to do. And he gets up there really easy. But you see when he has to take or do a Euro in traffic, that things get really complicated for him. So mm-hmm. fluid athletic- athleticism and power athleticism and those two things meeting within like a Zion Williamson or LeBron James is different than a fluid athleticism like Kyrie Irving and a power athleticism like R.J. Barrett. That's, that's, I think, there's different types, and a lot of players, they meet in the middle, but a lot of players have one of either. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, Barrett right now 
has power athleticism, but not the fluid type. Even you see when he's getting Euro steps in the lane, finishing with a dunk, you still see he like picked his feet up like four times. It's egregious travel when you watch the highlights back that like the fluidity is not really there. But yeah, not to harp on it too much. I met one of his dad's best friends down here in Mexico. He actually lived with the Barretts when they were in France. He okay. played professionally with um, RJ's dad, Rowan. And he was saying, when I asked him about it, because we were talking about Zion and RJ, and he decided to bring that up, that, oh, yeah, I used to live with the Barretts. I was like, oh, well, why don't I mine your brain for some takes? His, his opinion was that even though RJ struggles, he said that RJ works so hard that he'll just make whatever he's struggling at good. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's somebody who's close to the Barrett family. So he's obviously pulling for RJ, but it was a glowing endorsement of his, uh, of his work ethic, which... If there's anything to endorse, work ethic is a good thing. Chris Boucher. Hello, I'm Jack Wilson. I'm here to tell you about my podcast, The History of Literature. Hello. This is Edgar Allan Poe. Hello. Oh, hello. I'm Elizabeth Bennett. Hello. Of Come on in. I'm Emily Dickinson. Hello. This is Bartleby. Hello, it's me, Lady Macbeth. The Scrivener. Whoa. On The History of Literature, we journey through the world of great books taking a look at everything from the Epic of Gilgamesh to contemporary classics. We talk to authors and professors, and once in a while, we have a special guest. Hello, I'm Oliver Twist. The History of Literature podcast with Jack Wilson, where literature comes to life. Join us. We'll consider ourselves grateful. Thank you, Oliver. More gruel, please, sir. You bet. I'm pretty down on Chris Boucher compared to most of our colleagues. Most of Raptors Nation loves him. I don't really see him as a rotation guy at any point. I think his pick-and-roll defense is so horribly atrocious that he'll never, ever be able to like make a rotation in the league. How would you change my mind if I said change my mind right now, Adam? Man. See, I, I'm one of the guys that's probably in your camp as well a little bit here, but I think the way to change your mind is watch what he does in Summer League and G League. The dude is talented as hell. He is clearly more talented than the people at this level, which would lead you to believe, oh, then I guess he should play at the NBA level. But as you mentioned, there's still a lot of flaws. And it's funny that on my piece and talking to Jordan Lloyd and the whole thing around Jordan Lloyd's kind of viability as a player is versatility. Is he a one or is he a two? Uh, and being able to do both. And it's it's kind of fine. I know I don't want to like pigeonhole people into positions, but a big question mark that's kind of percolating in my brain is like, is Boucher is is he is he going to be able to be a five, or is he going to have to if he wants to even have a shot? Is he going to have to go move down a position to the four and try and be a little bit more of a playmaker off the dribble and be able to knock down his sh- three point shot more efficiently? That's the thing I'm wondering about, right, is you brought it up is, can he play the five? And obviously right now, that answer is no. There's just no way he could bang in the post for mm-hmm. more than, like, 22 minutes a game. At the, like, at the most, he'd foul out, I'm sure. His arms would be getting trapped, and he'd, he'd be in trouble, I think, playing in the post. But does he have the requisite skill to play the four or the foot speed even, right? Because there's guys like Pascal Siakam who play the four, and Pascal Siakam's foot speed is rapid. 
And mm-hmm. while Boucher has the length to catch up to a lot of guys, and maybe if he was playing against Pascal Siakam in a scrimmage and Pascal gets that, you know, he cuts in and he's got that spin move, maybe Boucher can clean, like, clean the glass, get back and get a swipe at a ball or something. But it seems like he wouldn't be able to keep up with the Thaddeus Youngs, Pascal Siakams, a Zion Williamson at all, given that his, he's not that fast. But also, he doesn't have the weight on him to contest with the bigger fives and even maybe undersized fives. Like Willie Cauley Stein isn't a huge guy. He's pretty thin for his position, but he's quite a bit larger than Boucher. If you had to say whether Boucher, if he's going to make the NBA, is it as a four or as a five? What do you think? I think it, it probably has to be as a four, realistically, at this point. I mean, He's never. I don't. He's never going to be a starter for an NBA team. So maybe he could be a, a a bench big that could be your small ball small ball five for a bench unit where it's you. There's less risk involved. You're not going against Embiid. You're not going against dominant scoring big men. Hopefully in those scenarios. So at that point, I think he could be a five in those scenarios. But if he wants to, uh, if he wants to get minutes for the Raptors, and it obviously depends on the long-term future of Ibaka and Gasol, but he's going to have to move to to the four, I think. And the only way he's going to stay on the floor as a four, though, is like you said, he needs to be better defensively with his footwork. He needs to be engaged. I think he has the talent and the skills necessary to at least be offered more minutes this year, especially now that the Raptors are going to be going through an experimental season. But I think... He need. There's times I think even, even in the summer league where he he wasn't engaged in the first two games, and that kind of shows his impact on the team's winning and losing. Is he was so disengaged in those opening two games, and the Raptors were terrible in those games. The next three, he was everything was locked in, and he's everything started to click, and the Raptors played better. So I think, yeah, it's it, a lot of it will be the one percent up top as well as if if he can be engaged mentally. Yeah, I think when I watch him, it's clear that there's so many deficiencies that he can't clean up all of them that maybe he just needs to supercharge what he's good at. And I think the viability in the league is pretty much it rests on his ability to become a truly elite three-point marksman. Yeah, If he can get there, I mean, then his defensive deficiencies kind of they go away a little bit because if he can stretch out another team's five, you're scoring three against their two. Maybe that gives some viability. Like, there's guys like Mirza Toledovic who have played in the league for, like, four or five-year stints. And Mirza's obviously thicker, but there's just not a lot of foot speed there either. Mm-hmm. And if Boucher wants to take advantage of it, I think I think it has to be through the three-point shot. What do you think? Uh, absolutely. And, I mean, he showed a little bit more of his willingness to... Uh, <laughs> he is willing to do a lot of things on the court, but... He was really pushing the ball in transition, which was good. He was, it was a 50-50, I think, out of control or making a good play. Like, it was not the level of efficiency as you would like, but it's good to see him kind of showcase that skill and knock down a couple shots off the dribble. But, yeah, I think you watch that three-point shot, and I don't even, I don't know if it's, obviously, he only shot around 32% last year, but there's just something about the release of it that I don't like. Even when it goes in, I always don't. He's one of those guys that every time he shoots, I don't think it's going in. I think that might be unfair 
because obviously he can knock down shots. But there's something about it. He he just kind of does that little. It's like a little bunny hop. There's no elevation on the shot. It's kind of like looks like a knuckleball flat. to me. It is a knuckleball. There's no tight rotation on it, and it kind of throws me off. Although that I'm in practice watching him, and he he makes twelve in a row from the corner. But it's still there's just something about it that just doesn't look visually appealing. This is terrible analysis, but the the lack of appeal visual appealingness of his shot really throws me off. Yeah. There's there's a lot he has to work on. And man, if he puts it together, one of the most intriguing mm-hmm. players in the league, I'm sure, especially if he's trying to fit in. Talking about intriguing, you've obviously you've been there for the whole damn thing and even past it. You're the summer league expert as of right <laughs> now. And that's why we brought you on the podcast, of course. I You went to a lot of games. You went you went to the Knicks games. Raptors games. You obviously sat through uh, Team China to eventually get to Zion. You're the guy. You've got all the knowledge. League wide, mm-hmm. who are the five most fun players to watch? Oh, this this was fun for me to watch, and it was great because a lot. When I come out here, I was obviously uh, a Raptor Raptor centric focus, but also in the wake of the draft and. The, the, the number of Canadians I got drafted or picked up or brought into this summer league is that I was definitely keeping an eye on Canadians. And it just so happens that two Canadians were pro- the top two most impressive players of the tournament for me. I cannot tell you how much I like Nikhil Alexander-Walker, man. I'm not sure if you've got to see him too much yet, Samson, but this guy, man, the fact that he fell to number 17 in this draft the year after his cousin Shea probably fell too far down the draft as well. And he plays not the exact, it's not a like for like comparison, him and Shea, but they, they have this kind of calmness about them and the length on them. And they're just ability to do a little bit of everything that is so damn impressive. And he absolutely dominated. He was by far the best player in the NBA summer league. And I may or may not, this is a terrible, this is why I'm losing my money out on him, Vegas Samson, but I may have put a wager on him winning rookie of the year over his teammate Zion. (laughs) (laughs) I got, I got 80, I got plus 8,500 odds on it, man. So don't give me a break, but who knows? Maybe a Zion injury, not that I'm wishing out on him. 10, 20 games in, Nikhil shows up out of nowhere. They get the sixth seed. I'm speaking it into existence. Okay, so let's let's go a little bit more granular on that one then. How does he fit next to Drew Holiday in your opinion? Well, this is the thing is like I was talking to Blake Murphy about this a bit and we were both super excited by him, but it's also like, dang, is he going to be the 8th or the ninth guy in this rotation? And that was before he played, we were very bullish on him. But then you think what well, is Lonzo, there's JJ, there's Drew so it looks like he might fall back, but then he plays the way he's played here so far, and it's like it might be undeniable that he has to be getting regular minutes. I think next to Drew is, man, that's a deadly duo. And you know what? You could even put him, if Lonzo's figuring it out a little bit, you could put all three of them together because Nikhil and Lonzo have incredible wingspan, and Lonzo showed to be one of the skills he's shown to be a solid player in the NBA is his on-ball defense, and Nikhil, the thing I like about Nikhil and similar to Shea is 
is uh, is again we're bringing this kind of the topic of summer league and the topic of this podcast is versatility. He's gonna be a guy that can play off ball. He's a great catch and shoot three point shooter. He can also make plays in the pick and roll as a passer. I mean, that Jackson Hayes dunk that went viral was awesome. But did did you see who made that pass? It was a wraparound left-handed bounce pass that Nikhil threw around two defenders. Like the the playmaking he makes as a passer there and his ability to finish with both both hands, he's weirdly ambidextrous are the things that really impress me, man. How do you feel he projects as a shooter? Because that's also the question for Shea, I think. Um, I mean, he shot well in this, and he, he showed a lot of confidence. His catch and shoot was pretty clean. He he had an inefficient game yesterday against Memphis. That was probably his worst game of the lot. But he even there was there was step back threes in there. There was a couple pull ups. Like he showed enough to me, and I know this is a small sample size, but. I feel confident with it. I mean, it's a bit of a moonshot. The thing takes about eight seconds for it to land in the hoop, but it, it looked clean, and his form on the free throws looked clean. So, I mean, I'm very, very, very bullish on on how he projects, and I just hope that he he gets the minutes that he deserves. I mean, it's going to be tough with Drew, JJ, and Lonzo, and got the entire Lakers team that now play for the Pelicans, but I'm... I hope that he gets at least 20, 25 minutes a game. And any other guys? Talking about oh, Zion, yeah. things like that. Well, I mean, the Zion thing was just a strange, weird experience. By the time I got home and the earthquake and then the Kawhi news, I, I, don't, I didn't know if I was dreaming or not. I didn't know what just happened. So I, Zion, the eight minutes was glorious. It was surreal. He looked out of shape. <laughs> But it was it was fun. I think for me, another Canadian was my second most impressive player in the tournament. It's Brandon Clark, man. I have no yeah. idea how the heck he fell to twenty one in the draft. And I'm not sure if you saw my Twitter. I was very excited to see him play, so I stayed I stayed late to see his first game against the Clippers. And it, the late games here, everything kind of dies out, and it's a pretty empty gym for the late game. So I fortunately managed to sneak myself into that media section directly behind Jaron Jackson and Ja Moran. And so I got to witness their firsthand reactions to the eight ridiculous dunks Brandon Clark had on his debut, the alley-oop lobs. And all I can say is I cannot wait to see Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Ja Moran play together. It, they're not going to win much, but they are going to be putting up highlights for days. Yeah, how do you think that? How do you think that front court shakes out with a Brandon Clark, uh, Triple J, and Jonas Valanciunas? Obviously, like Raptors fans, one Canadian and one honorary Canadian <laughs> in Jonas Valanciunas and Brandon Clark, and also one of the most likable young players in the league, Jaron Jackson Jr. How do you think that shakes out, even for I, now and going into the future? Well, Brandon Clark's going to be your energy guy off the bench to start with. I think. In the in the long term, I mean, he already showed one of his biggest question marks was his shooting, his uh, his shooting ability from the outside. But I was listening to Sam Vecini of the Athletic, and he mentioned that they've reworked the, his shooting stroke, and it's a lot cleaner now. And he he hit a couple pick and pop threes, which was really impressive. Um, but I think the point, the reason that the Grizzlies signed JV to that three year, forty five million dollar deal, is I think he's kind of 
going to be the bridge guy for him. I think JV's going to be there. He's going to be a rebounder because Jaron, as great as Jaron is, he's not a good defensive rebounder yet. He's going to kind of be the steady presence that kind of helps Ja, Jaron, and Brandon Clark kind of find their way into the league. And then as his contract kind of ends in that third year, I think that's when the Grizzlies hope to see this trio that they've drafted this year, or sorry, this trio of Jaron, John, Brandon Clark kind of maybe start knocking on the door of an eighth or a seventh seed. So I think it'll be, you know how JV is, man. He's a great teammate. They needed a veteran guy. He's a good glue guy. He's going to pair well with Jaron because Jaron can stretch out from three. And there's no, I mean, the issue with JV obviously is when it came to playoffs is can, can he handle the pick and roll defense? How is his foot speed if he gets switched on the guard plan? That's less of a concern for the Grizzlies because they're not planning on winning in the immediate future. And we know that JV can be a very good regular season player. So I think he's sort of just there to kind of help groom them for the next three years. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I think it's a great job constructing their front court for the future. And if JV has viability beyond that, I'm sure they'll be happy to sign him to an extension again. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Brandon Clark, his jump shot. It looks like they moved his pickup point. Yeah. And there's no longer a hitch in it yeah. anymore. It looks like a one-motion jumper. And like it's you were saying three. about his his pick-and-pop threes, they looked clean, even if it's yeah. he's shooting pretty far away from his body upon the release. It's still, like, it looks like a pretty good shot and a good place to to work from. I guess mm-hmm. we'll move on to the, the Twitter questions now from all the, the eager people awaiting us to answer their questions. Oh, so important to the both of us. Cohen Swinkles says, one, in the regular season, the Raptors did very well in games without Kawhi, and then in parentheses, but with Danny. What? (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) What, (laughs) if anything, does this tell us about the next season? Adam, what do you think, man? Is is he trying to tell us that they're better without Kawhi? Is this what, is this what's going on here in this, I, I don't know if I understand. No, 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 no. They no will will they be is. more fun? I mean, we talked about it a bunch. Is that during the regular season, at least, like the Kawhi and Raptors offense existed in different worlds, right? It was it was working, but it was frustrating. Playoffs, it was a whole different story. Will will their will their offense be more fun? I mean, there's going to be a, a lot more missed threes, and I don't know. Missed threes are kind of the thing that really kind of stick a fork in my side and frustrate me. So I'm not going to go out on a limb and say there'll be more fun. No. How about you? Well, I think, like you said, this was something we talked about and something I, you know, I wasn't the first person to write about it, I'm sure. But, like, I put a lot of effort into my, my article about Kawhi's sticky hands early on in the year and how he disrupted the offense from what, the offense was in the early parts and that wasn't saying that he wasn't they weren't going to coalesce and grow together but just that that's how it was and that that was something that continued throughout the year and it is a lot more fun to watch a clicking Kyle Lowry offense than it is to watch you know an okay Kawhi Leonard offense obviously mm-hmm. game 5 of the finals Kawhi Leonard going on that crazy run 
in the fourth quarter, it looked like, okay, the Raptors, they're going to win the finals on the back of this heroic performance. He just went nuts. He went ballistic. But also, he's most of the time, Kawhi Leonard in the regular season was just kind of ho-hum, doing his thing, getting to his spots, which isn't all that riveting. However, the hit-ahead passes to Siakam, spraying the ball across the court, little pocket passes for these diving big men. That's a lot of fun to watch, especially when it's rolling. So mm-hmm. if Kyle Lowry has, you know, if he has the reins again, if, and I think the most important factor in the enjoyable version of this Raptors upcoming season is Marc Gasol's three-point shot and OG Ananobi's production, mm-hmm. I think Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam are sure as ever. They're going to be fantastic. But if Marcus Gasol can shoot it well from three, and OG Ananobi progresses like we hope he progresses and can grow a little bit, you know, creating off the bounce and can start hitting, you know, his catch-and-shoot triples at a decent rate and can earn more time on the floor. I think that that offense can be really fun and mm-hmm. really rewarding because not only is it going to be the mix of seeing your young players grow in Siakam and OG Ananobi, but there will be, you know, that professionalism and quality basketball from guys like Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, I would have preferred for Kawhi to resign, but, you know, yeah, that's, I, that's just the thing. I mean, I think the question might be posed a little bit different or a little bit wrong. I think it's it'll be it's going to be fun to see how they experiment and work around these new pieces in the offense. I don't necessarily think the offense will be more fun, but it'll, it'll be good to see Nick Nurse trying things out, how he's going to be creative to kind of help Siakam get more get easier opportunities now he's probably the number one option on offense like there's gonna be Siakam pick and rolls should be fun that is it the experimentation will be fun I'm not gonna go on a limb and say that it will be more fun to watch I don't think they will be as effective or efficient or as good a three-point shooting team but like you mentioned there's a lot of question marks but like fun question marks to see how how things will unfold in the in the future so yeah it'll, it'll be, it's exciting man we're, we're over the yeah. quiet line and stuff now we're looking forward yeah definitely the next question from in Masai i trust is chris boucher more likely to be in raps rotation or 905 bound to start mm-hmm. the season and i suppose you're the guy to ask I mean, I think I think he will. Uh, I think he will be on the on the big team. I think he'll be playing for for the Raptors this year. I uh, when you look at the depth in the front court right now, unless they bring another guy in, if if they if they feel like they want to bring Eric Moreland, I suppose if they want to bring him back, he's been lingering around Vegas here with the Raps all 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 two weeks, but. Um, no, I think when you look at that front court, because besides Ibaka, Gasol, and Siakam, there's there's no other real front court depth, and I don't see I don't see the Raptors immediately putting Dewan Hernandez in there. I don't think I don't think that makes sense to put Hernandez over Boucher at this point in the rotation. So I think they will I think they will give Boucher that Raptors minutes, and they'll probably use. Uh, Dewan Hernandez as their four or five or as their big man for the 905 team. And depending on who they bring into that 905, I mean, Richard Solomon actually really impressed here in Summer League 2 for the Raptors. He could be a cool five for the uh, for the 905. So I would say he's more likely to play a big team. But the amount of minutes he gets on that big team is still uh, 
still up in the air. Well, you're a trustworthy source, so we'll put our stock in that. Also, I forgot to mention, as far as like this season being fun, talking about that the aforementioned question, uh, there's going to be some possessions that Stanley Johnson is going to have the ball or Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, both of which I like Rondé Hollis-Jefferson a lot more, that they have to create off the bounce or create mm-hmm. in a jump shot type of way. That will be very not fun to watch. So, <laughs> you know, keep that in your brain as well, that there's going to be some growing pains, I'm sure. Going from Kawhi Leonard to yeah. the trio of Ananobi, Stanley Johnson, and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is going to be something for sure. A, and hopefully it's note. more, yeah, a hopefully it's note. more OG and uh, RHJ. Um, sorry, sorry to bite on you. I just wanted to say on a side note, Stanley Johnson is one of the most likable dudes. There's something about him, man. He's got such a good energy about him. He's so he's so funny. And he was just chatting. He was he was really cool guy and chatting after his introductory press conference while we were watching the game. And man, I'm 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 rooting for him. He's gonna be my I'm gonna have to root for him. Even if he's shooting 12% from three, I'm still gonna find a way to make logical leaps and convince myself that he deserves to be a starter because I really, really liked him, man. He was a cool dude. I'm sure you saw the uh, the interview where, where a guy stood next to me and assumed it was Patrick McCall the whole time and asked him about winning back-to-back-to-back championships. Man, I, yeah, I did see that. <laughs> you were there for that? Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was... Uh, it was <laughs> so horrible. funny. This guy rolled out of nowhere. We, I didn't know who it was. And there wasn't many media guys left. So it was really just me and Blake there with uh, the, the the Raptors TV guys. So we're, we're shooting the breeze with him, just kind of chit-chatting. And this fellow out of nowhere just comes in with the, so what does it feel like to win three championships? <laughs> and you could just... You, you could just feel the awkwardness around around the interview just kind of started to pick up. But he, Stanley was pretty funny with it, man. He kind of joked with it, said, I wish I, I wish I won three ships. But no, that was definitely one of the funnier moments of my experience out here so far. Yeah, watching him rack his brain, he's like, who won three in a row? Who won three in a row? <laughs> oh, Pat McCaw. Yeah, I'm not him. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was really too funny. good, man. It was too funny. Yeah, he, he seems so personable. I'm excited to see what he adds to the team. Hopefully, you know, the, the goodwill pays off and he can grow as a player. Next question. From Man Wait Tommy or Tom, will we be buyers or sellers in January? And I'll start us off for this one. Yeah, you go ahead. I think that there's a chance that we stand still. I think that there's a chance that we're sellers but I don't think there's a chance that we're buyers. I think there's like a 0% chance that the Raptors are buyers at the deadline. What do you think? Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, it, it doesn't make sense for them to be buyers at this point. Their championship window for this year is shut. We've, we've talked at nauseum about how their kind of cap sheet projects in the next few years what that says about their probably their planning going into the future. And it clearly looks as if they're waiting for either 2020 or 2021 to be the year that they really reboot this uh, the the championship aspirations. So no, it would it would make no sense for them to be not they they could bring someone in if there's a, obviously it's Masajiri, the transaction wizard. Like if if there's a deal to be done with good positive value, he will do it. But 
I don't think they're they're coming in to be a huge buyer. Like I don't see uh, a, a massive trade package coming in for Bradley Beal or something. Although that would be pretty fun. What if Kawhi Leonard becomes available? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we could only wish, man. It it did give me a little bit of uh, there was a little bit of uh, satisfaction when the two plus one contract details came out. Although. Whatever. They have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and the Clippers are now the title favorites. And I, I told you, man, it was I was at the uh when I was watching the Clippers Grizzlies game right after the deal had been done when Kawhi went there and it's hard not to like those Clippers, man. When Montre's Harold came in with a Darius Miles throwback basketball shorts and he was wearing about twelve different chains, I was like, Man, this this team's the coolest. I can't I can't not like him. I'm just I'm just glad that Kawhi is not a Laker. Montrez is cool as hell, man. Oh, is he? And he plays like a badass. He's ferocious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Him, also, him, they have... Doc. Like, they're just it's just a cool group of guys. Lou Will, although he slandered yeah. Canada. He did, even though he wanted to be here. That goober. Uh, what a goober. Um, I was going to say, I said this to Matt Schantz as well, though. The, the Clippers have one of the best jerseys in the whole league, those... Dream Team esque jerseys with the big LA on the front, I think, and the stars on the side. I think those are fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see that team in those, specifically Kawhi and Paul George. But he also reminded me that the rest of their jerseys are kind of horrible. Which, yeah. yes. So you know, there there are fun things to look forward to, and not so fun things. Like you said, the Raptors preparing to go forward. That leads us into the last question from Pens and Raps at PPG Penguins. What are the Raptors going to do with all their cap space next summer, knowing we need it for 2021? Sign Lowry to a J.J. Redick-type deal, question mark. One year, but obvious, obviously an mm. overpay. What do you think? Um, I mean, it's not obvious that they're looking solely towards 2021. Who knows? Like they, Maybe they see some value in some free agents in 2020 because everyone's eyes will be fixated on 2021. I mean... The thing is, when you get to these situations that the Raptors are in now and you look at, I, I think it's easy for the fan base to just kind of look at and be like, all right, the next step is getting Giannis in 2021. But if if any, if we've learned anything over this free agency period is that the teams that just rely on that hope of a free agent coming several years down the road, a la the New York Knicks, obviously the Raptors aren't the Knicks, but I don't like the idea of simply just having that hope of Giannis or nothing else. Like, that's not how the Raptors won their championship, by just waiting for the next LeBron James or whoever to become a free agent. They they worked quickly. They did savvy moves in the draft. They made good trades. And then, yeah, they snapped up Kawhi when he was available. But I don't like the idea of just simply waiting for the 2021 period. However, if they do feel confident about their chances in 2021, then what I would do right now is I would start negotiating trades if you're going to get rid of either Gasol or Serge. If you can, you're not going to get assets back for them, but if you're willing to take on contracts that will roll into 2020, then you can probably get some assets attached to those trades, if that made any sense there. Yeah, I totally get it. That's If you were confident, and this is alien to most Raptors fans because we've never prepared our brains for the idea of, you know, stacking yourselves up against other teams to compete in free agency for a, a Giannis Antetokounmpo, players of his ilk. 
So like you were saying, trying to get players who roll into 2020, and that's their last year. So the expiring of Gasol and Ibaka this year for the expiring next year. So you don't have to sign those one-year contracts so that you can you know, mm-hmm. roll the same team and then everybody comes off the books for 2021. As it is right now, I think the Raptors are second in projected cap space for next year's free agency. It's like $67 million or something. If they do, like you said, if they do want to be big players in free agency, they can't have just $67 million to fill next year. Because mm-hmm. what's going to end up happening is probably you're going to sign a bunch of guys to one year. And I know some players like the idea of going to a brand new team, but it's way more valuable sometimes to have existing cheap contracts and bird rights and then invite a star to your team and you sign them into luxury cap space. And that's how you build real super teams. That's how the Warriors were doing it. That's mm-hmm. how most teams are doing it. That's why the Clippers getting Paul George and Kawhi yeah. Leonard, they get to sign all their other guys onto bird rights. It's important. And the Raptors as well, if they were able to sign, Danny and Kawhi would have signed them with their bird rights into luxury cap space. And then they get to keep all the incumbent stars, starters, and bench players. And then you get a full team. Whereas the other way is like the Lakers say, hey, you can build any team you want here. Yeah. But if they're signing straight up as free agents, you really can't because there's no bird rights. You're just going to eat up the whole cap. And you yeah. won't be able to sign any good bench players. Like having Fred Van Fleet $9 million a year, Norm Powell $12 million a year, even though Norm Powell, some players who sign those minimum deals are better than Norm Powell, almost none of the minimum guys are going to be better than Fred Van Fleet. Mm-hmm. It's important to pay guys who are good, you know, a decent amount of money. Not, you're not going to fill out a team on minimum contracts. Contrary to popular belief and LeBron James, the LeBron James of it all. But yeah, I really like what you said is that if you want to open up this massive cachet of of cap space, you got to you got to try and swap Serge Ibaka and Marcus all into contracts that that end the next year. Yeah, I, they, I really they, like that. I think uh, one one question I just wanted to throw out to you is something we uh a couple of us were talking about in Vegas here is you just mentioned that, that, that Fred's contract, he's on his final year of his deal right now. What do you think he commands next offseason? Let's just say he has a similar season to last year. Obviously, he probably won't have the playoff heroics, but maybe he gets an extra... Uh, an ex- his, his usage rate probably goes up a little bit and a bit extra minutes with Kawhi gone now. What does he command in terms of a free agent deal next year? Is he gonna is he gonna get paid? Because Brogdon four years eighty five, and I'm not saying that Van Vliet is Brogdon because he was probably the second best player on that Bucks team in the playoffs, but he's he's obviously no scrub. So I don't know what do you, what do you think he's gonna command in free agency? I now this is sad because I like Van Vliet a lot. And his punching up into his absolute ceiling of play in the finals was massive for the first ever championship with the Raptors. I think he's going to be a player who never gets quite what he's seen to be worth. And obviously there were times where he was worth, you know, $850,000 a year during the playoffs. And then suddenly he's playing like he should be getting paid like $22 million, like the absolute best bench reserve in the league. Mm-hmm bench reserve that's redundant bench guard in the league sorry (laughs) things like that 
I do think that because of his small stature, playing for the Raptors, and also not being a robust playmaker or scorer, his best skill is, you know, on-ball defense, which is underrated, and catch-and-shoot threes, but from a small guy, which is also underrated. I think that the Raptors will give him the best contract, I think, and I don't think they'll have that much competition. I don't think the front offices are really on to what he brings, and if they are, I think they're going to see that he, even though he is fresh in the league, he's not that young. Yeah. So I love Fred, but I don't think he's going to get the bag, quote-unquote. I think he'll get paid decently, but maybe 12 15 a year. I think okay. that's the absolute max. The absolute max. But that's, I think probably 10 or 12. Up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, How that's about you? Fair. That's, that, that's fair. I mean, I was just kind of looking at some of the contracts thrown around, and I, I, I just found it interesting, the, the Brogdon comparison, just because they went toe-to-toe during the playoffs. Uh, I'm a big Brogdon fan. and But I love at Brogdon. the same time, Brogdon has very, very real foot issues. And he's also no spring chicken. What? It's rude to say that. I mean, he's 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 still only in his early mid twenties. But like, he's not he's not like the typical age you'd be coming off your rookie contract. Yeah, definitely. I Brogdon is a uh, is interesting, but I think you know, like we we're talking about, like I said, Fred Van Vliet being small, and the fact that you know, if you were getting the contract this season, I'm not sure. But Steph Curry is like the best matchup for Fred Van Vliet to punch up and just show everybody what he's worth because his defensive makeup is exactly the wrong type of defensive makeup for Steph Curry to go against. Like mm-hmm. that's that's tough for Steph Curry. Fred Van Vliet is stronger than he looks. He's faster than he looks. And he's every bit as tenacious as he looks when he's Obi Trice, got the teeth missing, the cut under the eye. And he <laughs> like he chased Steph Curry like nobody's business. He got into his grill. He didn't care. And he didn't he didn't sacrifice anything. And while that's incredible to watch, I don't think that that's valued at the level that it should be league-wide. I really don't. And I don't think that he'll be revered in the same way that Pat Bev is. And Pat Bev has like this, this cult of personality in the league as this guy who's barking at everyone. He can guard KD. And even though Van Vliet isn't on Beverly's level. Defensively, he's somewhere around there. To quote Lewis Satzman, he's an elite NBA defender, damn it. Like, he's good. He can he can guard. He can defend. But he doesn't have that cult of personality. And it seems like the cult of personality is a big part of getting paid in the league. Mm-hmm. I, think Van Vliet, I think Van Vliet will be underpaid for his whole career, which, if he stays with the Raptors, will be a good thing for the organiz- organization but maybe not such a good thing for him. But I think he's fantastic. I love what he brings to the table, it, and I it, think that he was the perfect fit for what they needed to guard Curry last year. Yeah, honestly, if this was his contract year here after this playoff run, then you might be seeing a, a bigger payday come his way. But it may be a work in the Raptors' favor that he had his breakout playoff performance the year before he was due to get paid. Yeah, and that he probably won't have a similar opportunity this year. Mm. I, I just don't think it'll be in the cards for him. But yeah, he's fantastic. Love him to death. He's a lot of fun to watch when he gets to play. I don't, I'm, I don't know how many people think like me on this, but when I said, like, I think Fred Van Vliet is a three, he and the smallest forward moniker 
I think makes sense for him because even though Louis Zatzman, this is where we disagree, him and I, he and I, is that I don't think Fred Van Vliet projects as a pick-and-roll point guard, a guy who creates for your team. I think that he was maximized off of Kyle Lowry, guarding Steph Curry, making shots off the catch-and-shoot. I think that that's who he is. I think he's an incredible 3-and-D player, which isn't that popular at the point guard position, which is why I think he's misunderstood in that role, but also why I think that the Raptors can capitalize on him being you know, undervalued there because I think that it's very niche. There's very few 3-and-D point guards, but he's one of them. And that makes him kind of fit as a two or a three, at least mm-hmm. on defense and offense. But yeah. No, yeah, that's totally how I feel agree. about Fred Van Vliet. We love Freddie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's as good a place to end it as anything. Um, you have the floor if you'd like to tell the people where to follow you or if there's anything they should be reading or listening to. You go ahead, man. For sure. You can follow me on Twitter as always, Adam underscore McQueen. Throughout this week, is we're kind of in our dead period here for NBA basketball, but I'll be putting more summer league kind of retrospective stuff, grades, Canadian players stuff. I think I'll look to do probably a Dwan Hernandez thing in the in the short term as well. Um, yeah, that's pretty much me. One other thing I think I just wanted to chuck in there just for any Raptors fans, if you are gonna watch, if you if you're deprived of basketball. You can watch the Summer League final tonight, and you'll see our boy Bruno Caboclo is the small ball five now. <laughs> yeah. He's found, his, he's found his position as a small ball five. Man, I love watching Bruno in Summer League. He's great. He's so athletically gifted, so long, but he looks like he's daydreaming half the time. <laughs> That's yeah. It's so funny to watch him because like he can daydream into three blocks per game. Yeah. It's just oh, his physical him, gifts grant him a lot of leeway. I love that dude, man. All right, man. Well, I'll let you get out of there. I'll let you get back to Vegas and uh, the life that Vegas grants you, and <laughs> whatever get, your wallet can handle. Get me out handle. of Vegas. Get me out of this hotel. Get me out of Vegas. I'm starting to wear my boxes inside out at this point. Oh God, get me out of here. <laughs> All right, man, you take care. And for all the listeners, you take care as well. I hope you enjoyed the listen. Have a blessed day and goodbye. Hello, I'm Jack Wilson. I'm here to tell you about my podcast, The History of Literature. Hello. This is Edgar Allan Poe. Hello. Oh, hello. I'm Elizabeth Bennett. Hello. Come on Hello. in. I'm Emily Dickinson. Hello. Room. This is Bartleby. Hello, it's me, Lady Macbeth. The Scrivener. Whoa. On the history of literature, we journey through the world of great books, taking a look at everything from the Epic of Gilgamesh to contemporary classics. We talk to authors and professors, and once in a while, we have a special guest. Hello, I'm Oliver Twist. The History of Literature podcast with Jack Wilson, where literature comes to life. Join us. We'll consider ourselves grateful. Thank you, Oliver. More gruel, please, sir. You bet. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. 
The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.